for reading that. I think you barely got through with that, but it's ironic. You're talking about kids in the passage, and it sounds like you're dealing with kids at home. And so it's a perfect um, reading of scripture. Um, I got a treat for you today. Uh, I don't know if it's a treat, but number one, the treat is my sermon is going to be a lot shorter than usual. Uh, but treat number two is we have a guest speaker. Today we're highlighting Day Spring Ministry, um, which is basically our Sunday school ministry. And it's an important ministry for those of us, especially with kids and toddlers, um, you know, of that age. And, uh, and it's a ministry that's uh, essential to the church. And it's also a difficult one and it requires a lot of manpower and Grace. Uh, Grace has been uh, our our Dayspring leader, and um, she's actually going to give a quick, a short, uh, little taste of 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 what she does. Um, if you don't know already, if you don't have kids, what you need to know is that the Dayspring stuff has been going on over Zoom uh, ever since the pandemic started, and so. Um, just to kind of promote and to kind of highlight Day Spring a little bit. Once we do open up in person, um, you know, it, it takes some manpower to continue to facilitate. We, we need teachers for their Sunday school lessons after service. We, we need volunteers uh, during service to kind of uh, help Grace with uh, watching the kids. And so uh, just to kind of let you know that that's still going on and that still needs to happen. And uh, so we're going to give some time to Grace. And I know she's prepared a lot. A little bit, maybe a little nervous, but she'll do a great job. And so uh, before she does that, uh, let me just look at a, uh, this passage here with regards to children. Here in the Gospel of Luke, it's a popular passage. I think it's, there's someone similar to it in every gospel. And uh, two points I, I basically have here is this. One is, how do you be great in God's eyes? right? Uh, that's the first point. How do, you, how do you be great in God's eyes? How are you great in God's kingdom? And the second point is, how do you get God, right? How do you get God? How do you get into God's kingdom? And the reason I bring these two points is basically they're the same thing. The answer is the same thing. And the reason why I'm doing these points is because the passage that Ed just read here in verse 17, Jesus says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And so basically in, in, in Luke, you have the, the answer to the question, uh, how, how do you get God? How do you get kingdom? Or get the kingdom of God. But this passage here is actually very related to another passage in Matthew chapter 18. And in Matthew chapter 18, the disciples are talking with Jesus and they're talking about who's the greatest in the kingdom of God. And it's a very similar response to what Jesus says to them. He says, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So there you go. In our passage that was just read, Jesus says, if you, if you don't receive the kingdom like a child, you won't enter it. But then in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, unless you become like children, you will never enter it. Right. And so those are, these are two passages that I think are quite related. And uh, they give us the answers to the two questions. How do you become great in God's kingdom? And how do you get God? How do you get God's kingdom? And the answer is very similar because they are revolving around these people, which we call children, a child, right? So let's look at the first point. How do you get great in God's kingdom? And this might sound a little weird to you because we don't have kingdoms in our, in our places, but we have our world, we have our culture. But being great is uh, something I think we're all familiar with. Um, it's sort of built into us, even at an early age. You remember if you're going to school, um, you know, growing up in youth group, who, who didn't want to be the popular one, 
right? Who didn't want to be the most likable one or, or, or the, the toughest one or the coolest one or even the smartest one? Uh, we grow up in an education system that rewards um, achievement. Um, if you can remember back in the day, I'm not sure if they still do it, but even with physical education, uh, the Presidential Physical Fitness Award, you know, it, it was something that said that, hey, you're, you're good, you're great, you know, in what you were doing. Um, and we grow into this kind of situation and we grow up into this kind of situation, this culture. And even many of us today as adults, um, if you're in the corporate world and or if not, many of us in general, we're, we're busy moving up on the ladder of the world. We're oftentimes busy keeping up with the Joneses um, and uh, therefore meaning keeping up with our reputation, our status in the world, uh, things like how much we make, uh, what jobs we have, maybe what cars we drive, what kind of friends we hang out with, uh, kind of give us our status, right? Uh, our position uh, in life and in, in the world. And, you know, we, we appreciate being great. We appreciate being those people who are sort of at the top of their field or their expertise or whatever the case might be. You know, to be honest, I don't know many that, that, that say, I want to be mediocre. I want to be the, you know, the icon of mediocrity. I, I don't know anyone who really says that. Maybe you might, but I don't. And I certainly don't know anyone who says, oh, I want to just be terrible at everything I do. Of course not. I think if we're really honest with ourselves, whatever we're doing, whatever we're invested in, I think we want to be good. Uh, not just good. We want to be great. We want to be excellent. And we admire those that we think are pretty great. And that is oftentimes the way of our world and the way of our culture. And to be honest, even in the church. So when you look at Matthew chapter 18, uh, with regards to what Jesus is about children, the context of that passage was just that. The people, the disciples had a question of what it meant to be great. And they weren't so interested in the reasons for what makes someone great in God's eyes. They were just more interested in the state or the status of being great. And so they asked Jesus, well, you know, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? And Jesus responds to that question. And he says to them, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And so what Jesus does is, you know, he, he, he's talking to the disciples and, you know, to answer the question, he, he, he brings a little child over and he says, unless you become like one of them, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know if that's shocking to you, but I think it's somewhat of a, of a shock to the disciples and to those who are listening, because the reason is that the most powerless members of ancient society were little children. In most of ancient society, age increased your social status and your authority. And in Jewish culture, children were really loved. They weren't despised. But the point is, they had no status apart from the love uh, and, and the authority of their parents, right? Um, they had no power. They had no privileges apart from what they received as total dependence on their parents. And so, you know, when you look at this passage, many people oftentimes think that when Jesus says, hey, we should be like children and be childlike, we often think it means, oh, we need to be, you know, innocent or, or pure or, or even naive to the things of the world. But you and I both know the reality is this, especially if you have children, children are not that pure. 
All right. I know you might think your child is pure and, and good, but they're not all that pure and good and, and uh, can oftentimes be even very wicked. Right. To just to be very honest, I think. But the point Jesus is making was not that, you know, when he says be a child, that we take on some kind of childish quality of innocence or unselfishness, which we know is not true. But he wanted us to show the disciples an understanding of greatness, how oftentimes our understanding of greatness is the very opposite of what God thinks is great, right? If the one at the top of the pecking order, so to speak, is considered to be the greatest in our world, then in the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying, it's this child. One whose status is not at the top in society, but at the bottom of his society's pecking order. One who is not independent, making all the calls, but one who is subject to grown-up authority and who is dependent and powerless, right? And so, in our passage today, Jesus says the same thing, a similar thing. Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. It's reiterated again in the Gospel of Luke. It's to these people, it's to these children who have no power, no authority, no status in their society, who are oftentimes considered great in the eyes of God. And if this is true, then it it has ramifications. It has consequences on how we ought to view uh, not only one another, but also other people in our society. Other people that you might know, or other people that, that we live with, or other people that we work with, those that we consider that with less status, those, those people with, without privilege, those, those people with no power, those people in our world with, that's always seem dependent, always under authority, sometimes even oppressive authority, those people who are always in need, people like the poor, people like the disenfranchised, people like the racially oppressed, people we might generally consider, whether we know it or not, people that we treat sometimes as second-class citizens, people like children. You know, there was a time I used to think that, uh, you know, little children, infants, and even a little older toddlers, because I, I have two, I have two of them, and oftentimes they're like animals when they were young, you know, because I was just so busy, just just feeding them, um, clothing them, entertaining them, disciplining them, and it was just a lot of work. And if I was to be a little, I guess, honest, it kind of felt like raising pets. You know, now, of course, I know that that children are not really animals. They're humans. But maybe subconsciously, maybe functionally, we consider them not fully developed humans. And so oftentimes, even from adults, there's a tendency to brush them aside, uh, to pass off every cry, every tantrum, every whining and complaining comment by saying, what do you know? You are just a silly child. And then what happens is that these kids grow up in a blink of an eye, right? And oftentimes, sooner than later, they're oftentimes asking questions like, you know, what am I going to do in life? What am I going to be in life? They have serious questions, even at a young age. And I still remember, you know, uh, my son Christian, and maybe at the age of three or four, as we were walking back to an apartment in Bayside, um, he, he sees a bird on the grass that had died. It was a dead bird. And he looks at it at that young age and he says look daddy the bird is dead it died and it kind of boggles my mind because 
he had a concept of death, even at that age, that something that was alive and now is not alive anymore. There was already a concept of life and death. Something terrible was already in this child's worldview. What happens when people die? Questions like, why can't I see God? Questions like, if God is good, why is there evil in the world? Animals don't ask these kind of questions. People ask these kinds of questions. And now you realize then that you just can't talk at your kid anymore. You just can't talk at him or her. But now you have to have a real conversation. And that's oftentimes difficult for many of us. We have a difficulty doing that even with our spouses. Uh, but the point is the control that I thought I had quickly began to disappear as our children begin to grow quickly. And I had to begin trusting in God's grace that whatever I did or whatever I could do might be enough, that God would make it enough. And then whatever ha happens from here on out is not in my hands anymore, but ultimately it's in God's hands. And that one day that if we've done our part well and we trust in God's grace, that maybe these little children would also one day confess their own faith. You know, yes, they, the children still need discipline. They need guidance, correction. They need care. They need love. Uh, but they're still our children, and they will always be. But the point is here is that they are not second-class citizens. They're not subhumans. That the way Jesus treats them in our passages is that they are, too, also created in the image of God. And they carry an eternity in their souls. And it's to these children, to these people, Jesus says, belongs the kingdom of God. And unless you become like one of them, Jesus says, you will never enter the kingdom of God, says our Lord. And so what does it mean to be great in God's kingdom or to be great in God's eyes? Well, it's a, it, it's a matter of humility, isn't it? It's not about power or position or status. And the child's humility is his lack of status. When Jesus says, be humble like a child, he's not talking about these feelings or actions of, of being innocent or pure. He's talking about feelings of humbleness. To become humble in Jesus' eyes is to be without status, to be without position and power and authority, to be dependent. And in this sense, to be like a child. This is to be great by the standard of God's eyes. Everywhere else in the world says, if you want to be great, this is what you have to do. This is what you need to be, right? This is what you need to accomplish. But if you want to be, uh, if you want to be respected, if, if you want to be loved, if you just want to be accepted, then just be like this. Just do this. And if you do this, you'll live. If you do this, you'll be loved, right? That's a lot of work. But the gospel here and Christianity here in Jesus Christ is the very opposite. How do I know? Because the question is this, how can insignificant, helpless, dependent children be great in the, God, in the kingdom of God? Because they can't do anything for themselves. They can't earn anything on their own. They're not able to accomplish or achieve on their own. They're, they're still in many ways very dependent and very helpless. They're completely dependent. And yet here in this passage, God says, they've got status. They've got a position. They are great in my kingdom. You want to be great in God's eyes? Be like one of them, right? Now, how can God say that to children? Or how can God say that to us? 
And you know the answer, right? Because it's Jesus Christ himself who came into this world to do for us what we we can't do on our own, to pay a price for wrongs that we could never fully pay on our own by dying on a cross, right? He, He died so that we could live. He was rejected so that we could be accepted. He was hated so that we could be loved, even in spite of ourselves. He was crucified so that we could be glorified. In other words, it's Jesus Christ himself who humbles himself, that the Son of God, who left his father's home, gives up his status to become like one of us, without status, in order to make us great in his kingdom with real status. You see that? If you want to be part of God's kingdom, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, Jesus says in Matthew 18, be like these children. And it's a position of humility, recognizing it by ourselves, right? Now, the second point is, well, how do you get then? If that's what greatness means, then how do you get how do you get the kingdom of God? Or how do you get God? And this is going to be a lot shorter because it's really the same answer. It revolves around children. Luke chapter 18, uh, in passage just, that was just read, Just before this passage, in verse 14, Jesus says something similar. He says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Again, the idea of humility in the Gospel of Luke. How do you get God's kingdom? How do you get God? And then Jesus says in our passage, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And so in Matthew 18, Jesus says, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, Be like these children. But in Luke chapter 18, if you want to get God's kingdom, yes, be like these children, right? But also do like these children. What does that mean practically? It means this. In your inability, you confess your need, you admit your inability, and you embrace your need. And then you trust in Jesus Christ who did what you could never do. And you humble yourself. You see, this is very important because, you know, in every other religion, every other philosophy of life, they say this, look, here, I'll give you things to do, all right? If you do these things, if you can focus on these things, if you achieve these things in your life, you will receive some sort of peace. You will receive some sort of eternity, some sort of reward, right? Just be able to get through this list of do's and don'ts, right? But here, Jesus Christ in the gospel is very clear. There is nothing you can do on your own to be able to achieve that which we so desperately want. It needs to be received like a child. It needs to be given to us. And so confess your need, admit your inability, and turn to Jesus Christ who did what we could not do. And that requires humility. You see, in our world, it's the strongest, it's the fastest, it's the smartest, it's the, it's the prettiest, it's the most self-sufficient and most independent that are in. But in God's world, in his eyes, it's the humble. It's those like these children, those who seem insignificant, who seems weak, unable to do anything, you know, have everything to receive, but really nothing to give, who are always dependent, not on themselves, but on God and on the grace of the Father and the work of his son, Jesus Christ. It's those kind of people in his eyes that are in. And the way we receive the kingdom of God, the way we receive the Lord, is as these children. Everything to receive, but nothing to give, and we desperately need him. And so let me just end with this as as we think about our children. How do you see the kids in our church? 
are they sort of these little animals that are scurrying around during service when we're worshiping in person they're sort of out of control or going crazy and and just less than sort of human uh, or do you see them as people who jesus says to them belong the kingdom of god and let's broaden that not just children but those people in our world uh who are not as privileged as we are who who live a, a life you know with a status that's much less than maybe you and I have, with privileges that, that you and I have, that they don't have those things the way we do. How do you look at them? Do we look down on them? Do we look at these people? Do we look at children in our church and say, yo, they're crazy, they're out of control, they're annoying? Or do we look at them as fully human beings filled in the image of God and to these belong the kingdom of God? And so as we consider our children again, Day Spring Ministry here is not just something of a babysitting job, okay? It's, it's, it's an important ministry. And ultimately, it's the parents that are responsible for our children's uh, spiritual growth. But the ministry itself is, is not a moment to just give you a break so that you can worship with the adults, right? It's a ministry that continues to grow these children and treat them as Jesus has treated them. Don't send them away. Welcome them. Let them come to me because to them belong the kingdom of God. And so we need to continue to do that and take that seriously. So at this time, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hand over the mic, I guess you could say, to, to Grace. She'll give you a little taste of what she does, maybe share a little bit of what, what she might need or, or what she's about. And, and um, as she, when she's done, um, I'll close this in prayer. So, so Grace, if you're there, uh, it's all yours. Hi, everyone. Um, thank you, Pastor Francis, for that introduction. So um, for those who don't know me, uh, my name is Grace Lee, and I've been leading the children's ministry. Um, now that I think about it, it's been five years, um, and I've been able to do that all because of everyone's um, support and prayers, and especially those who have been volunteering as Sunday school teachers and volunteering during day spring worship. So for those who have helped in the past, I thank you so much because I wouldn't be able to do it without you. Um, so I do hope and encourage all of you when we do go back to um, service at church physically that you consider um, helping and serving um, our children, um, as Pastor Francis had mentioned, you know, they are a part of our congregation and um, with all of you and your help, um, we're able to help share the gospel with them and grow together in them. And I assure you, um, not only is it a blessing to them, um, but it will also be such a blessing uh, to you. So um, there's all different ways that you can serve. Um, and some of the things are through just um, serving during worship uh, when I do um, in service um, at church, um, just helping out, um, keeping the kids um, sitting still or whatever it may be, helping with the crafts. Um, and also um, helping out with Sunday school um, teaching. Um, and you don't need to feel like you have to have 
know everything. Um, you know, we provide you with all the materials and, and everything like that. So um, I truly do feel, and I've heard from others who do teach how much of a blessing it is for them. So I highly encourage you um, to consider and to do, um, to pray about it. And um, if you are interested, definitely reach out to me and I'll give you more information if you need. Um, so today uh, I wanted to just kind of give you a glimpse of what our virtual day spring worship looks like. Um, although it's, it's more of a, an abridged version, um, you don't get to hear our praise songs and um, us uh, it, like signing the Apostles' Creed and things like that. But today I'm going to share um, today's uh, lesson uh, for all of you. So I hope along with all the children, I can't see all your faces, but I hope all the children are listening and I, um, and it, it's such a great opportunity for all of us to just worship together as a family. So um, let me share my screen. Okay, so we've been learning about the parables the past couple of weeks, and today we're going to learn about the parable of the prodigal son. And we've learned that Jesus told parables to teach a lesson through a story. And as I share the story today of the prodigal son, I want you to think about what exactly Jesus is trying to teach us. Now, this parable that Jesus once told is about a wise, rich, and generous father. And he had two grown sons. And the younger son that you see here wanted to leave home and live his own life. Um, he wanted to be free and independent and just didn't want to be with his, his father and his family anymore. So the younger son asked his father for his inheritance. And that's just basically him asking for his money that was um, supposed to be given to him. And even though the father knew that his younger son wasn't ready for real life and be on his own, he gave his son what he wanted. So the son packed up his belongings, hopped on his horse and went off into the world. And he wanted nothing to do with his father. And the father loved his son, of course, very much. And he, of course, was disappointed to see him go. And just like any father, he was worried about him. Um, but you see, it's not only because he was his son, it's because he knew the character of his son. His son, his younger son was immature, wasteful, and he definitely wasn't ready to live a responsible life. And like I said, the father knew his son very well. And the younger son only lived for today and didn't think about tomorrow, which means he didn't think about saving that inheritance that he had. No, he thought, I'm going to live my best life and had so much fun. He had tons of money and he thought, I'm going to do all these crazy and wild things 
and have so much fun and all the things that you can dream of. And he threw parties with lots of food, delicious food and drinks and dancing and fun, all the things that money could buy. And he thought, this is amazing. What a life. I am I'm having the best time of my life. And on top of that, of course, when you have money and you throw great parties and you have delicious food, all comes all the friends that came coming. So he had so many friends that wanted to be a part of his um, parties and be his friend. But all this fun didn't last long. And it was not long until the son spent all of his money. Suddenly, of course, no one wanted to be his friend. He became an outcast in a foreign land. He had no money, no friends, no food. All that he had was gone. And then, of course, because he didn't have any food, he didn't have any money, he needed to earn money, right? So he was thinking, I need to find work. So he found a job and it was feeding pigs. Now, back then they considered pigs to be unclean. And even now when we think about pigs, they're very dirty and unclean and you're not gonna wanna have that kind of job. But back then it was the worst job imaginable. And just to touch them was considered wrong. And has there ever been a time where you were so hungry, you thought, you could eat anything. Maybe you thought, oh, I'm so hungry. I can even eat Brussels sprouts, something. Think about something that you really, really, really do not want to, you hate, you, don't, you would never want to eat. Well, the young man was so hungry that he thought of something even worse than Brussels sprouts and vegetables or whatever it is that you might not like he even started thinking about eating the pig's food. Ugh, that's so gross, right? That you can't even, that's how hungry he was. And, but then suddenly a thought came to him and he thought, why am I here? Lonely, hungry, and miserable. Why did I leave my father's house? I'm so foolish. And he thought again about his father's house. And he thought, even the lowest servants in my father's house have plenty to eat. But he, the son, right now, he had nothing. And so the son decided to go back to his father's house. He thought, even if I have to feed the animals, I'd rather do it in my father's house. And if my father's angry, then so be it. I deserve it, but I just need to go home. And so he did. Dirty and stinky, tired and worn, he journeyed back to his father's house. And he was still far from home, but then he saw someone running towards him, towards him on the path. Who, who was this? Who do you think it was? Who could it be? It was his father, 
right? Far, far in the distance, his father had been waiting for him, looking for him, hoping for his son to come home. Now, though the son did not realize it, the father had been waiting and waiting for his son to come back home. And they embraced each other and they hugged each other. And immediately the son began to apologize. And he said, Father, I am so sorry. I've sinned. I've, I'm, I've, I'm so unworthy. But before he could even finish, his father interrupted and yelled to his servant, Bring to my son the best clothes, the fancy ring, the fine shoes, and let's have a celebration. And at that time, the son was willing to do anything to earn his, his, um, his way back into his father's house. But the father, he didn't even let him finish saying sorry. He simply ran to his son, brought him back into his house, into his family. And to celebrate his son's return, the whole household had a huge party complete with the most delicious food, dancing, music, and singing. It was a grand celebration. Now, everyone was having a wonderful time and the house was filled with joy. Everyone but one person. Remember at the beginning of the parable, I said the father had two sons? Well, guess who wasn't happy? Yeah, the older son was not, the older son was not happy. The older brother had always been good. He'd always been obedient. And here, his little brother, who had run off with his inheritance, comes back and his father throws him a party. By this point, of course, and maybe even you would think this too, would be so upset. He was so upset. And of course, the brother came up to his father and the older brother rudely and disrespectfully says to his father, how could you throw a party for him after what he did? And instead of becoming upset at his older son, the father says, my son, I still want you in this feast, right? You see, the older brother didn't realize everything he already had. Instead, he was thinking about and was upset about his younger disobedient brother, a sinner who had been saved, right? Now you're probably thinking, what is Jesus trying to tell us in this parable? And I asked you to think about that, right? Well, Jesus wants us to know that just like the father in this parable, our father in heaven is all loving and loves you. He wants a relationship with you. And like the younger son, there is no sin so great 
or how many times you sin over and over again that prevents God from loving you. And like the older son, there is no great deed you can do to earn God's love. It is only because of Jesus' death and resurrection that we can be called his children. It is because of Jesus that God runs to us with open arms and has brought us into his family. So boys and girls, and even the rest of um, the congregation, I want you to think about, when you think about this parable, be reminded that of God's love for us, that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be called his children and be a part of his kingdom. Thank you. Thank you, Grace. Um, that, was, that was great. I, I should have let her preach instead of me. Uh, you know, the visuals, they make a big difference. And anyways, um, let's take a moment to pray for, uh, for Dayspring and, and for the church. <clears throat> Father, we thank you so much.